Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing on this beautiful Friday? Cade, I'm doing well, and I... I want the listeners to know I've been out of town since Sunday, just got back and I hopped on the podcast and I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, dude, shut up. We don't care, but I just wanted them to know that's how much I care about the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, well, I'm doing great and I'm, I'm great partially because you're here, you're back, you're with <laughs> me on the podcast, but it is worth calling out because we keep the streak going on weeks that we're not even here. So like you get back <laughs> this morning and we're on. And I, yeah. I just, uh, I admire that about you and I, and uh, hopefully our listeners do as well. So welcome back. I'm glad it was. They're like, I wish you would take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And frankly, if one person said, take a break, maybe we would. Um, but yeah, that's a good, good point, Dustin. But it is great to be with you. I know we have quite a bit to get to. Um, but before we do that, let's say a quick thank you to our friends at the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs, so shop today at www.charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle vintage made fresh and Dustin tomorrow in Bedlam and this weekend uh, in wrestling in Iowa. It's a great weekend to rock some Charlie Hustle because it's like 70 in Stillwater and uh, I'll be wearing my Charlie Hustle. That's for sure. So did you see the jackets they made for the women's basketball team? No, I missed So you this? know, the jacket I, and listeners, you might remember too. I, I cause I posted on the Twitter, the cursive, cowboys orange kind of old school letterman jacket type jacket that i was wearing at the big 12 championship they made a black cowgirls cursive script jacket for the cowgirl basketball team and i believe you can go on and get it right now i'm looking at I'll it right to, now is it up on their site you can buy it yeah they're sold out okay. of medium xl and double xl so you and i are so hurry it. yeah <laughs> It's really cool, though. I think the whole team wore it at the last game. They all wore them as like kind of their warm up jackets. That's super cool. I have to I have to assume the J.C. Hoyt Charlie Hustle connection is from her time at UMKC. It has to be. But who knows? Who knows? I think she's the first person that I saw in OSU Charlie Hustle, like on social media. I'm gonna he I'm gonna figure out a way out. to get the answer to that question. Like, what's the what is the connection? Because I know the guy that started Charlie Hustle. We're we're going way too deep. Point being, it's a very <laughs> interesting connection. With this is a, still part of the ad. Somewhat, <laughs> we're not even getting paid for this part, so that sucks. But we 
it is an interesting connection and I'm going to dive deeper and I know just who to ask. So I, I, I will find out and report back, but Dustin, there's a ton to get to. So I'll kick it over to you for some football news. Yeah. So current team stuff, kind of like we normally do through the agenda. It's actually similar to last week, Cade, where we have quite a few notes, but they're all kind of quick, quick hitters. I'm sure you and I will go long on one or two of them, but they're supposed to be quick hitters. Yeah, there is no so, such thing. <laughs> we talked about Ollie Gordon going to the Doak Walker ceremony, Emmett Smith getting the Legends Award from Do- the Doak Walker Association last weekend. So we already talked about all that, but one interesting note, Ollie got some questions from the media. I think it was mainly local Dallas media about the big NIL dollars and if he'd been talking to any schools or thought about entering the portal and Ollie basically said that schools contacted him. Hoax Report is reporting they heard it was TCU and Missouri were the two main players that were interested in trying to pry Gordon away from Oklahoma State. And actually, Ollie had a quote saying, it's a great program, great coaching staff, talking about Oklahoma State, and they make sure that I feel like I'm at home. You know, I didn't want to leave. Instead of going for somebody that just wanted to give money and really didn't care about you. Your phone is blowing up, but you don't want to get into that. And I, I really overlooked that. But you don't want to get into that. I really overlooked that. I wanted to stay loyal to my school, my teammates, and my coaches. Gabe, uh, that's tampering. Um, Yeah. And it, he's a Doak Walker Award winner, openly saying he was tampered with. And Dustin, nothing will come of it. Nothing will come yeah. of that, and that's what sucks. And I, now I feel bad because I don't remember the guy for 247 that kind of put out the story on it. It wasn't the Oklahoma State. It wasn't uh, McLean Baxley. It was like a national 247 writer, I believe, or a Dallas-based one. But he put it out, and everybody's coming after him being like, weird way to phrase the word tampering. I kind of felt bad for the guy. Not his I think, fault. Yeah. I know he was just trying to get this news out. I'm sure he, to himself, thought it was tampering, but, you know, it probably wasn't in his best interest to call it that in the title of the article, but it's really interesting. And I I don't really have like a lot of hits on it, Cade. It's just, I, you know, old man yelling at cloud, but something has got to be done to fix this because it's straight up wild, wild West chaos right now. I mean, I, I, you're not going to put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to NIL and tampering. So I think you have to have contracts. I mean, we have, I've said this on this podcast before, but college football has less guardrails around roster construction and tampering than any other professional league in the world. So is that really what we were trying to do when we were trying to like let an athlete partner with a car dealership? Were we really trying to create zero structure? The answer has to be no. I do think Mike Gundy was early on the contract thing. I I have to believe that that's the only way you solve this is saying, if you transfer, either your school buys you out or you're on the hook for it. And does that completely solve the problem? No, because some schools will buy a contract out if they if they need to but it would significantly slow things down and i think that that's what's been missing is there there's no restrictions you can transfer as many times as you want that's it so that's my only take on it they've got to fix it and that's how i think you do it yeah i completely agree emmett smith just the last couple notes on it he said i'm glad to see him as an ollie is loyal to his school and his teammates there are a lot of reasons to play this game 
One of them is for the love of the game, and it seems like Ollie Gordon has that. And then Coach Gundy told Robert Allen that he has made contact with Emmett Smith about maybe coming to Stillwater and speaking with the football team. So that is pretty cool. Sounded like an awesome ceremony. There's a bunch of pictures posted out on social media from the Doak Walker account. Really cool that Ollie got to hang out with Emmett Smith, who I know you as a Cowboys fan and me oh, just he's as my a favorite player fan ever. growing up. Yeah. One of the best. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I I may try to figure out how to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. But uh I Emmett <laughs> Emmett Smith, without going too deep, that's like my childhood right there. Like young Cowboys fan, he's the guy. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, really cool stuff. Speaking of the Oklahoma State football team, we noted last week that they get started with spring football practice on Tuesday, March 26th. So we're about a month out, a little over a month out from that. Coach Gundy talked with the media. I think it was just like a couple quotes about him being back. He said, they're doing good. We were gone until this week, talking about this week we're recording. We saw a little bit of it, of the workouts. It's been very enthusiastic. It's a very mature group. We have guys back that are old and that have played a lot of football. I've met with them a couple of times as a team and talked to them about staying humble and that they're only as good as their next day. We expect them to push and push really hard. We have enough leaders and enough maturity in that group that they should be able to take care of them of that themselves. The coaches should be able to sit back and watch the show. So I, I think it'll be pretty cool. I know that on Tuesday, the coaches were out in the afternoon for the first time with the team going over some new schemes on both the offensive and defensive side of the football. The rules kind of allow the coaching staff to spend a certain amount of time each week in meetings and on the field with walkthroughs. They can't do like a lot of stuff with the ball, a lot of run-throughs, obviously nothing in pads. I know last offseason, it was a lot of going through Brian Nardo's scheme, and I think they're kind of still tweaking some things on the defensive scheme. I know they were the defense was inside the practice facility testing out that new field turf service that they installed in the Sherman Smith Center, and then the offense was outside working in that nice 70-degree weather. Mm-hmm. So sounds uh, like football practice is already kind of kicking up with those workouts, and then they'll get into the true spring football in about a month. Yeah, can't can't wait. It'll be here before we know it, and um, it's it's one of my favorite times of the year. There's a lot of storylines this year. Yeah, I completely agree. And kind of to build on that, we talked about last week about the NCAA deciding on adding the communication system into the helmet of one offensive player and one defensive player and allowing the coaches and players to use tablets on the sideline to look at video and look at pictures of plays during the current game. It sounds like they're going to decide on that next week. And it could be like we said last week, it could be implemented as soon as this upcoming season. Robert Allen talked a little bit to Casey Dunn and coach Nardo about that. And they had some quotes on it. Coach Nardo mentioned that, you know, it would be really cool to have that on the defense, but they have a lot of one word calls that are easily communicated. So he thinks it's going to be more of a big deal for the offense specifically at Oklahoma state. But he did say he think it would definitely help out. And he seemed really excited about the tablets. He said, yes, tablets are huge because you can show them, them being the players. If we have tablets, no matter what a four-year veteran or a coach that has been there for 10 years in the course of a game, Somebody sees something differently. So having the tablets, you know, allows you to communicate quick and say, this is what we saw 
what did you see? What did you see? What did you see? If you were together and then everybody sees the same and nobody flinches, now we all have actual proof of what everybody saw of what actually happened. He said, I love being able to see that. I, I think the tablets will be big. And then coach Dunn I kind of summarized it by saying the tablets are awesome. Great stuff. I think it's about time. <laughs> and we talked about it. You know, they use it in high school football. They've used it in the NFL for a while. So I think it's pretty cool. One last note I had on this, Cade, or I guess two last notes, but Coach Nardo mentioned what player he he was kind of talking about what players you would put it on in the defense because obviously on the offense, you're most likely going to have it with the quarterback. He said probably the Mike linebacker, and he yeah. actually mentioned Nick Martin by name. Oh. We talked about possibly some yeah. position switches at the linebacker spot. It seems like at least going into spring football, which makes sense, Nick's going to be at that same spot. Oh, I don't even, I don't want to breeze past the technology portion of it, but I'll just say it's long overdue. Um, I, I think that catching up to the NFL in that regard is a, is a great idea. And I just, the thing about Nick Martin moving anywhere other than middle linebacker is you're sacrificing his speed to one side of the field. And that's, that's the biggest thing for me. Um, does it help you in other areas potentially, but it's not shocking to me that at this point in time, they may not be thinking about that. Yeah, I agree. And then that second note that I was talking about, apparently Oklahoma state was offered the headsets and the tablets during the bowl game because there were six bowl games that did it. And Texas A&M not only declined, but they also declined to allow Oklahoma state to do so. According <laughs> to folks report, why did Texas so A&M get to call the shots in this regard? I think both teams had to agree. And then okay. if one didn't agree, that team had to agree that the other team could use it if they didn't. The only reason I'm giving them a little bit of slack is because it was complete chaos with their roster and coaching staff before the game. So I guess I kind of get it, but still it sucks because Oklahoma state would have got to try it out uh, in the bowl practices in the bowl game. And then could have used that coming yeah, into the that season, but it sounds like there's still a ton of question marks, Kate, on like how this will be implemented, what even kind of technology they're going to use is going to be the same as the headsets the coaches currently use to talk to each other. So still a lot to play out about what's going to happen if it gets approved next week. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting. I again, I don't know why they hadn't done this earlier, but I also back to the Texas A&M comment. It makes sense. Like one team using it and the other team not using it. That's silly. So I, that that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Okay. Two more notes before we move out of kind of the current state of football. College football playoff format, Cade. The format for the upcoming 2024 college football playoffs is officially set. The college football playoff board of managers announced that a revision to the playoff Playoff qualifying criteria has been set for the 12 teams. The format is now the five highest ranked conference champions and the next seven highest ranked teams as determined by the CFP committee. The previous format included the sixth highest ranked conference champions and the next six highest ranked teams. Okay. Any, any hot takes, any thoughts on this? I personally think they should have done four and eight. Like, yeah, because the Pac-12 is no longer a thing. So uh, I, I are you going to put like a, you know, low 20s ranked Houston or, or I'm sorry, 
Houston's now in the Big 12. Tulane, for example, out of the American yeah. as an automatic qualifying five seed with a home college football game. That's the only thing that's like, I don't know if that was the right call because I think the intention was the power five that used to be power five. Now it's really kind of power four. Get an automatic bid. But I, I find it strange that you could be potentially giving an automatic bid to a group of five qualifier out of the American that won seven games, for example. So it's very strange in my opinion, but we'll, it, we'll, we'll get over it. Yeah. I, those are kind of my thoughts. I don't really have any other takes on it. It just seems kind of weird for that fifth conference champion spot, but also, yeah, maybe it'll work out and it'll work out really well. Either way, I'm excited for the 12 teams and, also, according to the release, the format will officially shake out like this. So under the 12-team playoff format that begins this fall, the four highest-ranked conference champions will be seeded one through four, and each will have a first-round bye, while teams seeded five through 12 will play each other in the first round on the home field of the higher-ranked team. The quarterfinals finals and semifinals will be played in uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. The national championship game will continue to be at a neutral site. No conference will qualify automatically, and there will be no limit on the number of participants from a conference. And obviously, I'm sure the SEC is happy about yeah, that we, last half exactly. of that last sentence. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I think we got asked this question, Dustin. Would you rather be a top five automatic qualifier and not host a home playoff game? Or would you rather be a five through 12 and have to go through one of the automatic qualifiers and get a home playoff game. What would you prefer? It's a great question. Having a home playoff game in Stillwater would be so awesome, but it would be great to kind of have that buy and know that you were good enough during the season to get a top four seed. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? The idea of catching like a Penn State in Stillwater or, you know, in Oregon, for example that lost two games would be so awesome that part of me would just selfishly love to see that as a, as a fan. So <laughs> yeah, like I, I couldn't imagine the vibes if like Ohio state loses two games, but they get the 11 spot and Oklahoma state hosts as a six. Could you imagine that in the Stillwater? So that would be insane. Like if you could guarantee me LSU in yeah, Stillwater like, in a playoff game, uh, then, then yes, I would probably be okay with not having I, a one through four. I think that's where I would be like, yeah, I could get more excited about that. But um, I mean, obviously, if the if you're a national title contender, you would love to be in that top five. But selfishly as a fan, getting a team like that in your stadium would be amazing. Yeah, it, it, either way, it would be awesome. And I think either way, with this new format, Oklahoma State has such a great shot. Oh my god! Make you get in there every single year, like this year, like this year. This yeah. may be a reality. So it's awesome. Yeah. So it's it's great stuff. And the last note we have, kind of on the current football, we talked about the NCAA video game coming out, the teaser trailer, Ollie Gordon's ranking. Now it's been officially announced. Oklahoma State University's assistant athletic director for uh, coordination of NIL, Barry Henson, told Pokes Report on Thursday morning that Oklahoma state will be involved in the EA sports college football video game that is due for release this summer. The company sent out contracts for the majority of scholarship college football players, players from 
all 134 FBS teams can opt in to be a part of the EA Sports video game, officially setting the athletes up to be compensated for a video game for the first time. Hinson said, we, Oklahoma State, are involved in the game. EA Sports is just allotting for the 85 scholarship players, so it doesn't include the walk-ons in the program. So that's kind of one interesting note. And also, it's been released that each player that opts in will receive receive $600 with a basic agreement and a copy of the video game that will be in the various formats. Players who do not opt in will be represented with a general generic player avatar with more than 11,000 players expected to opt into the game. This is believed to be the largest group NIL partnership of its kind. And EA Sports will also pay out additional NIL rewards to the ambassadors that they will employ for the game, which I think Ollie Gordon will most likely be one of those. I would imagine. I mean, he's going to be a, he's a superstar. I would think so. Additionally, I can't imagine opting out of that. You get a free $600 in a game and you're in the video game. I could not imagine opting out of that, but you're going to have guys do it. And that is, uh, that's sad, but ultimately we're going to get this game. And the fact that obviously Oklahoma State being in it is great. We kind of expected that. But there were rumors for years that, you know, you could see teams like Notre Dame and, you know, USC. I remember those two uh, programs specifically were causing some issues. So uh, to see everybody make it in is great. I think Notre Dame, to your point, actually caused the late release of that announcement we just talked about. They were the last school to sign so they could say all 134. Yeah, that's teams that signed. makes sense because that was the team that everybody was like, like Notre Dame said, we're not getting we're not going to be part of it unless our players can, you know, make money off of it, which it's just so look at me for Notre Dame. But who cares? And Kate, the sadder thing about opting out is I get it. Like some of these players may not think six hundred dollars is enough. Maybe it's not enough. But the thing is, we're just going to create you in the game. I, that's the thing. Unless they remove that feature altogether which is a massive part of the game itself there's no it doesn't matter i'm making you either way yeah that's where kind of i would be like hey either way it's kind of puts the players in a tough spot either way you're going to be in the game one way you're going to be in and get zero dollars the other way you're going to get 600 and a copy of the game so one of one of the interesting things i read yesterday was that the transfer portal is expected to be part of it which is expected but like how deep can you go? Like, can I ask a player to enter the portal? If I'm if I'm running a program and I'm like, we we need better at left tackle and I can go get this guy. Can I pull it? Can I kick a guy off and put him in the portal? That would be I hope so. But that because that's how it works. And I'm just <laughs> curious how realistic they'll make it because it is cutthroat. And can I can I put a guy in the portal? Against his will. That would be uh that would be a question I have. Against his will. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I think that feature is gonna be in the game for sure. I think so. Yeah, I do. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We'll continue to talk about it because it's such a big thing in college football, and this is a heavily college football influenced podcast. So we will continue to keep you updated. Hey, let's hit a couple of quick recruiting notes before we switch to basketball. Tamaric Johnson and Willie Nelson have both earned prestigious all-state team selections in the state of Texas. Linebacker defensive end Tamaric Johnson from Midlothian Heritage and cornerback Willie Nelson from Longview were both named to the Texas Sports Writers Association 
first team 2023 Texas 5A All-State team this week. The 6'3", 210-pound Johnson is already on campus, and this past season had 50 total tackles, 17 and a half tackles for loss. Johnson led Heritage in sacks with eight this past season, and over his career, he racked up nearly 30 tackles for loss and 15 total sacks. Willie Nelson, also on campus this spring, 5'10", 170-pound cornerback, helped his team to a perfect 7-0 district record and logged 50 total tackles with six PBUs while leading the team with six picks. He also returned two of those picks for TDs. And David Cabongo made the 6A All-State honorable mention. He's also on campus right now. So a lot of accolades for this incoming class. Good stuff to see. And, you know, Cade, you look at the class rankings, and I know a lot of it is based off number of players and certain things like that in your class. And when you see some of these guys at Oklahoma State gets making first team in 5A, second team in 6A, it it just kind of almost dilutes the stock you put into those recruiting rankings even more. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I see it. These two guys are on campus early in the spring. They are getting all state honors. That that's not reflected in the in the recruiting rankings and I think that's fine with Oklahoma State. It's fine with me. You come to expect it when you cover this team and pay attention closely. This is this is par for the course and I think one or both of these guys will will be contributors fairly early in their careers. So yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Good stuff from those guys and congrats to them for those awards. Update on the recruiting calendar. The division the FBS recruiting calendar is currently on the dead period. We said that it goes until March 3rd. The dead period just to recap what that is. It's a period of time when it's not permissible to, permissible to make in-person recruiting contacts or evalu- or evaluations on or off the member institution's campus or to permit permit official or unofficial visits by prospective student athletes to the institution's campus. After the dead period ends on March 3rd, Cade, March 4th through April 14th, the the quiet period starts. And the quiet period is the period of time when it is permissible to make in-person recruiting contacts only on the member institution's campus. No in-person, off-campus recruiting contacts or evaluations may be made during the quiet period. So coaches can't go and visit the players, but the players can come to visit. And I know Oklahoma State has a bunch of visits set up coming up in April. So kind of be on the lookout for that. There's not a ton of offer visit stuff right now. A lot of players have locked in their visits, but we'll probably talk about those a little bit more closely to when the visits actually happen. Boy, with all these uh, dead periods, quiet periods, and all these recruiting restrictions, you'd think they would be willing to do something about tampering but that's just <laughs> yes. that's just me i completely hard, agree hard and to look at those as reasonable anymore in my opinion <laughs> it really is weird they've got to do something about it but oklahoma state kind of just to recap where they're at with the recruiting they use the month of january and february to get out and see the 2025 and 2026 prospects Oklahoma State actually had no room to add to their 18-member 2024 recruiting class that they signed in December. So it's full up. They are still dealing, Cade, with some number issues. Since the bowl game, several players that were thought to be leaving decided to come back 
And that includes a guy we talked about last week who was in question, Cody Walterscheid, which I think, I mean, we went over this last week, the hypothetical, but that's huge for depth. I still feel that Jaleel Johnson and Deshaun Brown should probably kind of jump him in number of total snaps. But having Cody Walterscheid, adding Obi Azigbo, Xavier Ross coming back, you've got Aiden Kelly, Iman Oates, A.J. Reidner, Kirkland Clay, Deshaun Brown, Johnson, Landon Dean. I'm not saying that that's an elite group of players by any means, but I think at this point, I'm not as worried about the overall depth of the position. And with Brown and Johnson continuing to improve, maybe this is an overall better unit, even really only adding one guy in Obi Azigbo. I mean, I think there's a little bit of hope in that, that your two guys that you just mentioned do develop into what you think they can. But I would agree, if they do, all of a sudden you're deeper than you were last year. And that was the concern, was they wouldn't be. And frankly, if you come out on top of where you were last year, you have answered a massive, massive question mark on this roster. So that's, again, there's a little bit of, Hopeful thinking. I don't think it's wishful. I think it's hopeful that that those two guys develop. Um, but again, I, I agree with everything you said. Yeah. And there's about 89 offers now out in the 2025 class. There's about 20 out in the 2026 class. And it looks like there's going to be about 18 to 20 scholarship spots available in the 2025 class. I'm assuming there's going to be emphasis on offensive line, receivers, tight ends, and on defense looking at Pretty much every position, defensive ends, linebackers, safeties, maybe not as much at nose tackle with some eligibility still left on guys there. And you really, you know, you only need one guy on the field. A lot of the times that can kind of fill that true nose spot. So we'll see how it goes. You know, the transfer portal is going to open back up in mid-April. So we're going to have some more news as the podcast continue on. But Kate, I think that's it for football as of now, and I'm ready if you're ready to switch over to basketball. Yeah, let's do it. Um, before we do so, let's take a quick pause and hear a word from one of our sponsors. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you, and go Pokes! Well, Dustin, that was a big week for Oklahoma State basketball. Um, and there's a lot of ways you can take this. You could take it down the direction of Mike Boynton's comments last week, putting himself out there, the program in this position that it was, you know, two conference wins at the time with a a trip on the road to Cincinnati. You haven't won a conference game all year and a ranked BYU coming to town. 
And you were kind of staring down the barrel of a two and 11 start to conference play in just a forgotten year. And I think all of a sudden, Dustin, everything we've talked about as, you know, will Oklahoma state make a move? We've put our opinions out there. Probably not. Now I think that that becomes much more unlikely based on you beat BYU, you beat Cincinnati on the road, and you're going to get Oklahoma in Stillwater in a game that they're kind of limping around. Oklahoma State's on the up. The program, that was a big week. If if this was to continue into next year, that was a really big week for Oklahoma State. Again, when you think about all the uh, the factors that were swirling around this program, all the narratives, all the talking points, um, they they really needed that, and I I have to you know wonder if you know if you saw the video of Mike Boynton getting into the locker room after the game with a big hell yeah I I have to think that he felt like yeah I, I probably am coaching for my job and so it's really good to see Oklahoma State you know come out on top in both of those games. Yeah, Kate, it it was a huge week for Coach Boynton. Honestly, I. It was a little wild to see those comments, to kind of see how everything went. You get the quote-unquote bye week after the Bedlam game, and you come back and you beat BYU at home, and then you get the road win, the first Big 12 conference road win of the season. You beat Ken Palms number 15 and BYU and Ken Palms number 41 in Cincinnati. And, you know, maybe Coach Boynton was able to figure something out during that bye week, and you know, I know Ken Palm is showing this Bedlam game as a loss for OSU, but he's got the UCF game as a win. I mean, if, you, if you're able to figure out a way to win Bedlam at home and win that UCF game, then you're looking at what? Six conference yeah. wins when we were figuring out if they were going to be able to get to three or four before the end of the season. It's just, it's pretty wild. I, I just, it's such a roller coaster ride. I don't even know where I'm at mentally with this team and what I think about coach Boynton's status moving forward. Now here's, here's one of the things that is very interesting to me is that even with this young roster, with this season starting the way it did, this is kind of what Oklahoma state basketball has done under Mike Boynton. He's 22 and 11 after Valentine's day in his career at Oklahoma state. That's like, a legit winning percentage. Like if you could just figure out a way to not get your, you know, butt whooped by Abilene Christian, not choke games away against St. Bonaventure and Notre Dame. Like if a few of those go another direction, you lost to Kansas state in a game you led, you had TCU. Like if those go a different way, if Mike Boyne's teams figure out a way to win, this was a tournament team this year. If if you get to seven wins in this conference, you're on the bubble. It is the non-conference that is absolutely and has absolutely crippled this program's you know tournament chances over the last seven years. So that's kind of where I am. I don't know what that means. I don't know, frankly, why it even happens. Like why why are Mike Boynton's teams? winning 67% of their games after Valentine's day in this conference. And yet they've made one NCAA tournament. So there are so many like ways you could take that question, but it doesn't make sense on the surface. So. Yeah. And then you see, you know, Jamiron Keller gets the start. The birthday boy has an amazing game against BYU has a solid game against Cincy. 
it's just, it's just why, I mean, you can't really look back and ask these questions like this, but I'm going to bring it up. You know, is, was Bryce Thompson getting more minutes than Keller hindering this team? I, I mean, should it take this long into the season for Mike Boynton to figure that out? Should it take a full week off, which they don't normally get for him to figure this stuff out? I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's worked these past two games. It's just so confusing what is happening at this point in the season. You're inserting this guy into the starting lineup that hasn't been playing a ton this season. And you go on this little two-game win streak against two solid basketball teams, one of them on the road. I'll say this. I, I think you're right. I do think that Bryce Thompson, you know, and I, I'm not even knocking him specifically, but he's kind of a spot-up player. He's not overly athletic. He's not great on defense. He's not great with the ball in his hand. And when he's not shooting well, he's really ineffective and kind of the ball stops. I remember the ball used to stop with Lindy waters quite a bit. Jamiron Keller comes in and now you have two penetrating guards. You had one with Javon small and Bryce Thompson on floor. Now you've got two and all of a sudden everything opens up. John Michael Wright's hitting threes. Brandon Garrison's getting layups at the rim. Keller's getting downhill. Everything flows better. I mean, they, they, frankly, should have beaten Oklahoma. They should have won four of their last five games, and those are all games that Jamiron Keller started. And so you're right. It absolutely should not take Mike Boynton this long to figure these things out. And you would hope that, you know, after seven years, some of those lessons have been learned, like, you know, get these kids some real minutes. I mean, if you look back to Jamiron Keller had 18 points against New Orleans, 10 against Houston Christian, eight against Tulsa, seven against Royal Roberts. Like, it's not like he did nothing. Like he was a, he was an intriguing young guy. And once he finally gets minutes, look what happens. He drops 22 against BYU, 15 on the road against Cincinnati hits five clutch free throws in crunch time that if he doesn't hit them, they don't win that game. I mean, he's got to be on the floor. And frankly, Dustin, he's probably the kind of guy that, you hope that NIL can keep around. Like I, I, if I'm taking Boynton at his word that NIL is limited at Oklahoma state, like is Keller having a, a run that worries you down the road? I don't know, but he needs to be on the floor for Oklahoma state because they win games with him. Yeah. And, and then you've got, you know, John Michael Wright, who apparently not practicing at all that I guess the whole team experienced a, an illness sickness throughout that kind of bye week John Michael Wright doesn't practice at all. They're just trying to keep him hydrated. He scores 13 against BYU. Maybe they just need to get sick more. I'm not sure. It's, it seemed to help there. But yeah, I completely agree with your take on Keller. Brandon Garrison continues to be amazing. Or, I mean, really, really amazing, honestly, for a true freshman big. And then Javon Small, Kate, is this going to be one of the better players in recent yeah. Oklahoma State history? that gets forgotten maybe because of how bad this Oklahoma state team has been this season because he's a really talented player. You're probably, you're probably right about that. I, I think that when Oklahoma state runs this back next year with this roster, he will not go down that way because he's got another year of eligibility. I think he will come back and he will cement himself but I mean, you're right. Like Kendall Smith is a great example of this. That guy elevated Oklahoma State to a point where they should have made the NCAA tournament, but they didn't. 
and people forget how good he actually was. I think Javon Small is that as well. I mean, he 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 makes this team better, and frankly, he makes things really really easy for Brandon Garrison down under. So, yeah, and you know, I mean, just to kind of wrap up what we were talking about, but with the Cincinnati game, you still see some of those issues from before that bye week happened. You know, some turnovers, some bad defense at the end of that Cincy game. They looked exhausted. I'm sure that had to do with them being sick. I thought Cincinnati was maybe going to win that game at the end, but they're able to pull it out, which is not something we've seen them do many times this season, especially against talented teams. So I think it's a good sign going forward. And just kind of close it out, Kate, unless you have any other thoughts, I wanted to actually ask you a question. How many more wins do you now see on the schedule? We've asked this question, I think, the past three weeks. Yeah, well, I saw four. Well, now they've got it. I think they're going to beat OU tomorrow. I, I feel pretty confident about that. I think they're going to win that UCF game. And I think they get one more. Like I, Texas is not very good this year. I think that Texas tech game, they, they are defending the home floor very well. I think they win three at home and I think they're going to finish conference play with seven wins, which I wouldn't have previously thought that. But when you look ahead, it's like, well, They've been competitive on their home floor, and this is kind of the middle bottom of the Big 12 that you're facing at home. You should win all three of these. Yeah, I mean, they won two of their first, what, nine? Yeah. Or two of their first 11? I, I don't. I mean, it's just absolutely insane if they were to do what you just said, but I don't think it's that far out of the question. I personally, I see them getting... I see them getting two more because, and I, I think I have to say that because you and I both said yeah, they were going to I mean, lose to BYU and Cincinnati and beat OU and UCF. So the two I thought they were going to win. We said last week the that they might beat BYU. We gave them a shot in that game. And yeah, they we won. did give them a so, shot. Yeah. So I, I'm, I can't back out on what I said last week. So I do think they get two more and I think they end with six and, and you're saying seven, which at, I think at the, after the beginning of Big 12 play, I think you and I both put the over-under at five, and I think we were saying push. Seven so would, would be, be hilarious. Um, yeah. It would absolutely secure Mike Boynton's job. It would also be another completely apathetic year where you really didn't do a whole lot. So something's got to get better. There's no question about it. Can you make a run and win the whole dang thing in Kansas City? Can you go on a tear and win like, 10 games out of your next 12 and make the tournament keep you out? Probably not, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. So it's a very <laughs> interesting time to be an Oklahoma State basketball fan, but I expect a pretty good environment in Stillwater on Saturday for Bedlam. It's always going to be packed, but with the last one on the schedule, I think this is going to be a good one. So, Yeah, I agree. Kate, if you're ready, I think we can move on to a little baseball, softball, and wrestling notes real quick before we hit questions. So softball, just to kind of recap what's happened since we last talked, they lost to number 12 LSU, 7-6, to six, and then the Northwestern game was canceled. Then the rest of the Clearwater Invitational was rained out. So Oklahoma State decided to stay in Florida and schedule a game that was not previously scheduled versus number 16 Florida, which is awesome. They won that one 3-0. to zero. Then they beat Stetson 11 to six. They beat Washington seven to zero, number four, Washington. And then they finish it out beating USF six 
to one. They play Yale today. It's not on TV. They get Pittsburgh and Loyola Chicago tomorrow. And then they play in Stillwater against South Dakota State on St- on Tuesday. Those the Yale Pitt and Loyola Chicago games are all in Tampa, Florida. Okay, the one issue though is not many of these games have been televised. So it's a lot of box score scraping for us right now. The ones that have been on TV, we've gotten to watch. And just Kate, to kind of recap some of my takeaways, and then I'll kick it back over to you. We had some question marks on pitching. We knew Lexi Kilfoyle was good, but needed to kind of round into form. Kenegayeski, we know he's kind of looking more at the data analytics, trying to do some stuff that Florida State did last year with Sander Cock and mixing in Kilfoyle as a reliever, bringing her in later in the game at times, starting her sometimes. Well, she threw a complete game shutout. Rosenberry has looked really good, and I said last week I wanted to see more from her to really believe it because she looked good early in the season. Acock had some issues with Stetson, but then was amazing and pitched the entire game against South Florida. I think the pitching has kind of rounded out into form, and I feel pretty comfortable saying that over, even though it was only like a four-ish, five-ish game stretch because they played, you know, a Florida, a Washington, uh, South Florida, even in the LSU game, it wasn't terrible. So it's been, it's been pretty solid as of late. I think you have to look at the games they won and not the games they lost. Like to beat Florida and Washington is extremely impressive. And then you go back to the UCLA game, obviously, but I think you're exactly right. Like the pitching is better than I personally expected and they should have won that LSU game. So you really should be thinking about this team in a different light because of the way that game ended so I, Dustin, I, I think it's as good of a start as you could have expected to this season, and probably even a little bit better considering the caliber of opponent they've been facing. Yeah, and when we did the season preview, Cade, the question mark that I actually had was because I, I think you know in softball you can. Before I heard Kenny Gajewski's comments about trying to do more of that Florida State data analytics approach, I thought they were just going to kind of ride Killfoil, and you can do that in softball because these pitchers can pitch so much. And I just thought it would maybe kind of maybe some, they'd run out of some gas late. That's why I said a super regional exit, but my big question mark was in the field and it still is a little bit of a question mark. Kenny is still tinkering with the lineup, which I think is fine because you want to figure it out. And with so much youth on this team, I think it was hard to figure it out until you truly played games. But Rosie Davis, who'd been playing a lot of second base, has been playing some shortstop now. Caroline Wong, who is one of the catchers along with uh, Aubrey Schneidmiller, has been getting some run in right field. We saw Sophie Page play second base when Davis was at shortstop. And then Katie Lott, who's been struggling a little bit, has sat and I mentioned Wong in right field. Claire Tim has been playing some in left and center and even some in right. Hayden Sokolowski, Scotland David, Jillian Pouillard. They are now kind of all rotating in in the outfield, and Lot has not been playing as much lately. So I think Kenny's still trying to figure it out. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be in a, as big an issue as I initially thought because I think I see some things I like in the field from the players that are fitting out there, and I think you have to have Caroline Wong in the lineup because of her bat. So I, I actually like that he's still tinkering with the lineup because once once they figure it out with how the pitching has looked and how they've looked at the plate recently, I think 
the sky's the limit for this team. I think so too. I think that you're the problem is you're in a conference that features Texas and Oklahoma and Texas has an up year right now. It would appear like they're really good. So that's the only like issue I see Oklahoma state is going to win a ton of games, but they have two juggernauts in this conference and usually it's just one and them. No, it's a great point. And yeah, last note I have Talon Edwards continues to be amazing. So uh, love to see it. Had yeah. a highlight play. I think it was like on Sports Center Top Ten or, or yeah, the D1 di- softball the diving catch. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh okay. Moving on to baseball. Sa- opener against Sam Houston State was tough. They lose the first game seven to two. Then they lose the second game two to one. But then they come out on Sunday and win 19 to two. There was no run rule enforcement in that, that game. So Sam Houston State had to sit there and just take that 19 to two beating. Then they come out midweek and beat Abilene Christian at Globe Life Field. They'll be back at it in Globe Life today against Michigan. Then they face number they face Arkansas, who I believe is number two in the nation on Saturday, before closing out the weekend against number four, Oregon State. So some tough competition. Cade, takeaways for me right now, the main one, the first one, Carson Binge is the best player on the team, and he is who we thought he was in the field and at the plate. He's batting 500. He's already got three doubles. He's already taken three walks. He's made highlight reel catches. I tweeted yep. one of them out from the Feels Like 45 Twitter account. This dude is, th- the way he can play in the field, we know what he can do pitching as well and hitting. It's just he's an incredible talent. Yeah, he really is, and the Sam Houston series was a little bit disappointing, but maybe predictable. Like that's not like you play so many games. Like I said, sweep, but then when I even said it, I was like, "Mm, it's just hard to win three, even on the road, kind of anywhere. So team Sam Houston state makes the regionals every year. They are good. And so it's easy to kind of look at the logo and be like, eh, but that I can forget about that one. Abilene Christian, great win. Go get, two out of your next three against Michigan, Arkansas, and Oregon State. And I think that you feel really good about your trip to Arlington and your trip in Texas. So, And Oklahoma State can't lose games two to one like they did in yeah, game they, two of that Sam Houston State series. If they hold a team to two runs, they should win every time win. because our question mark has been on pitching. The bats, Not it's not like we're homers and think that. The bats are this almost the same bats from last year minus minus your Riggio because McLean was hurt so much. Marcus Brown's a career, you know, 280 hitter, which isn't bad, but they've got the Schubert's back, the Brigham's back, the Wolfert's back. What has to happen is Schubert struggled really early in the same Houston State series. He seems to have kind of found his groove. Wolfert is still struggling. I, that's obviously going to turn around. Foresight, that has actually been a nice little surprise at the plate. Miola's hitting good. The bats are going to come around, but they cannot lose games where the pitching staff holds the other team to two or one run. It's just, it's not possible. They can't lose like that. It's it just, I don't think you'll continue to see that. On the positive note with the pitching staff, Cade, and in the field, only two errors so far. They've looked great. Holiday has looked good as a starter. Hazel looked good as a starter. So in the game two and game three of the Sam Houston series on the weekend, I actually thought the two weekend starters looked solid. Garcia was shaky in the first game. Phillips looked okay against Abilene Christian. 
But then Bogus, Weber, and Gabe Davis have all looked amazing out of the pin. It, if Holiday and Kiesel can pitch anything like they did in game two and game three consistently, maybe I'm not worried about the pitching. Well, yeah, are we going to be doing the same thing for baseball that we've kind of done with softball? Like, are we going to get through very few games and be like, ah, not really worried about that anymore <laughs> and completely recalibrate our expectations? Because I would agree with you. It's early, but you're going to get, you know, 10 games under your belt by the middle of next week, and you should have a decent idea of what this looks like. Yeah, I mean, the starting weekend pitching last season was so inconsistent. It really and if was. you could even get if you could get two consistent guys in Holiday and Kiesel, you know, we had some consistency from Abram at points in the season last year. Binge looked good on Sundays, but you know, Jawan Watts Brown struggled. Nolan McClain, when he was asked to do some of that, and he was injured a lot. You you had some issues. If Holiday and Kiesel can do that every weekend, man. Maybe maybe our expectations were set a little low for this Oklahoma State baseball season. So we'll kind of see how it plays out. But I'm still excited even after the two and two start. Yeah, no question. But you got two uh, games against top five opponents coming up this weekend. So it will be a fun weekend for Oklahoma State sports. Yeah, and try to watch them if you can, but I won't blame you if you don't because they're on flow baseball, which is super tough. Really tough. Yeah, especially these big games. Yeah, so I try to, you know, get on a Discord or a streaming and uh, <laughs> illegally do it. <laughs> or don't. Don't. Dustin yeah, I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that's an idea. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and then, Cade, lastly, re- wrestling, we knew it was going to happen. We weren't worried at all. An absolute butt-whipping Oklahoma State put on OU in the bedlam, 34-9. to It should have been even more. I think there was one match that didn't go Oklahoma State's way that should have. And that sets 14-0 Oklahoma State, 8-0 in the Big 12 Oklahoma State to face Iowa this Sunday, 2 p.m. Central Time, to a sold-out stadium. I'll be there. Shout-out to my guy, Eric. He is at E-H-A-M-M-U-S-M-C for sending us some tickets to the match i'm very very excited going with my dad one of my brothers and our friend of the pod alex fuller we will be there loud rocking probably wearing some charlie hustle gear i'm very pumped Cade. it's gonna be awesome and i think oklahoma state can take it yeah i mean shout out to eric that's a awesome you know thing to hit you up for um and uh, i'm glad you were able to use them so uh it's awesome but i I remember five years ago when Iowa came to Gallagher Iba. I was at that at that duel. I'm not a big wrestling guy. Not that I don't like it. I just I don't watch a lot of it. But that was the loudest and one of the most fun Oklahoma State sporting events I've ever been to. When pitching any pinned Spencer Lee, I mean it was like one of those moments that I don't think I'll ever forget how loud it was like a bomb went off. So it was uh it was a pretty spectacular afternoon and look forward to more of it this weekend if you're not going to get to Stillwater uh I can't uh I would love to but I can't you should get there that's going to be must see sports so it's awesome yeah and Kate to show you how like trying to get prepared I am sold our thunder tickets tonight because I don't even want to risk losing my (laughs) voice Good for, for you this, for this on Sunday. That's one so. that you will lose your voice at. There's a lot of shouting. <laughs> so not that we would. 
probably lose our voice at the Wizards. I think the Thunder favored by like 14 or something like that right now. But all that to say, Cade, it's going to be a great time. Thank you so much for the tickets. Obviously, Cade and I would have gone if he could go with two of those. So we're moving on to some questions, Cade. I think we have one audio that I'll throw over to you, and then we'll try to hit a couple. I know, I know you guys, it's probably annoying with the time limits, but Cade and I are doing the best we can, so we're probably not going to be able to hit all the questions that we got today. We got quite a few, and then we also got several more in the DM, quite a few on the tweet, several more in the DMs and the one audio. So we'll try to hit a few before we get out of here. Hey, guys, two questions for you. Uh, we seem to have pretty good depth at nose tackle with uh, Kirkland, Clay, Kelly, Eamon Oates, and Rodnauer. Could Clay, who played defensive end at Arkansas, or Kelly, who's the lightest there at 295, be moved outside to help? The other question is, Nardo moved the nose tackle, uh, the position instead of straight up on the center, moved him around a little bit. Could we use some of the couple of those nose tackles at the same time to look more like a two, four, five? All right. Thanks, guys. Like Dustin, that one's on a silver platter for you, my friend. Yeah. And they, I think that was our guy, Ryan, who actually asks some Twitter questions sometimes. He's got Ryan in the number string outside of his handle. So thanks so much, Ryan. And Ryan, I think you asked this on Twitter and we didn't get to it the other week. And I had written it down and I, I'm sorry for forgetting that. Thank you so much for sending it in audio. And you see, you jump the line if you do the audio question. So that's right. <laughs> okay. So we're talking about the depth. And since you sent that question, I, I'm assuming you hadn't seen the news yet of Cody Waltershire, which I hadn't seen it until it was posted by Robert Allen that he'll be back at defensive end. So with Walter Scheid, Brown, Johnson, Azigbo, Ross, and Landon Dean, I don't know if they'll actually move a Kelly or an Oates or an AJ Ridner to a true like defensive end. But what I do think will happen is kind of similar to what you said at the end about the two nose tackles. I do think we'll see some more even front looks with two defensive tackles out there which would be maybe a justin kirkland mixed with an aiden kelly or a justin kirkland and a colin clay which i don't see i don't think you'll see that one as much unless it's kind of a short yardage goal line situation but maybe a colin clay and an aiden kelly because i think aiden kelly has a little bit more versatility to play that kind of three tech instead of just that zero tech or shaded nose which you were referring to when you talked about Nardo moving the nose around. I think we'll see more kind of even and under and over front looks, which obviously, you know, the over front with the three tech to the strong side and the shaded nose to the weak side and the under front would be the shaded nose to the strong side and the three tech defensive tackle to the weak side. I think we'll see more of that. So I do agree with you. I think it's a great call out. I just don't know if it'll be Kirkland and clay as much. I think Kelly and I think actually Xavier Ross can play that other defensive tackle. So I think he's a guy that's maybe listed at defensive end that can play tackle, and Kelly's the opposite. He's a guy that's listed at nose guard, nose tackle, that could also probably shift out to that three-tech, maybe even more of a four-eye four tech defensive end type player. I do think Kirkland Clay, Oates, and Reidner are probably more suited for that true zero tech or shaded nose, but who knows? I mean, maybe even some two tech stuff. I, I don't know if you'll move them all the way out to a three, 
but we'll see. I, I do think it's a great call out. And I do think you'll see a lot of different things from the defensive line and the way those fronts looked. I think I brought up Bill Bennett's 2015 Baylor defensive unit as kind of a comparison. He kind of had to go to more of like the odd front with an attached defensive end and move that nose around a little bit. So I think we could see all that. I'm I'm very excited. I think if you're going to extreme camp this year, I know I've said this on a recent pod, I would try to stick in the defensive position group rooms and the defensive meetings because I think that's going to be where the fun's at. Dustin, I have nothing to add to that. That was outstanding. <laughs> Thanks. I love the question. Sorry for rambling on about it. Kate, we've got a couple about basketball. I might be able to squeeze two of these into one question and shoot it over at you. So Bill Minat, our guy at Bill, my geo guy says, re-asking a question I asked to Cade a few days ago, if men's basketball doesn't make any staffing changes, are there reasons to be optimistic next season? Is it going to be more of the same Is the argument? These freshmen are so talented that they'll overcome poor coaching and development. And then Kevin house at Kevin underscore house one says, do you feel like head coach Mike Boynton knows he has another year? So maybe he made the statements about NIL to boost fundraising in hopes of keeping his core and adding depth through the portal. So kind of some questions on optimistic and outlook as we move into next season. Yeah, I, I love these questions. Both of them very thoughtful and, and good. So I'll, I'll go with Bill's first. I don't think that I would be all that optimistic that things would be radically different going into next year with no no staff changes, which is what Bill asked. If OSU doesn't make any staffing changes, are there reasons to be optimistic? I I would say if you are optimistic, it would be because you do believe that the freshmen are so good that they will gel together and they will elevate their own coach. That's a that's a bit of a stretch based on what we've heard. So I would actually think that if if things stay the same, I would be shocked if things stayed the same on the assistant side of the coaching staff. I don't know anything here. This is just totally me spitballing. But I have to wonder if the seat is hot enough on the head coach, if they say, OK, look, you can come back. We're going to give you X amount of dollars out of this bucket but you got to do something. I don't know. I, I I think to answer your question, Bill, I think there are very few reasons to be optimistic, but the reasons are the players. I think you're starting to see them gel. I do think you have to give some of that up to Mike Boynton. His teams consistently do this. I actually wonder, though, if they do this late in the season because <laughs> maybe things aren't very good. Like, I don't actually understand why it consistently happens this way like it, are the assistants doing anything is is Boynton doing too little I have so many questions about it so anyway Bill thank you great question and then to Kevin who asked I'll just refresh since it's been a second since you said it did he make the comments did Mike Boynton make the comments about an IL to boost fundraising in hopes of him keeping his core I think that's a really thoughtful question and maybe partially I think it was an interesting PR move a bad PR move in my opinion, but he's gone out and he's won two games. And so if he's saying that out loud, I personally don't, I don't think the NIL situation is as dire as it's being represented. I will also say that we saw this happen with Matt rule and Dylan Rayola at, in Nebraska football. Matt rule came out and said, well, it costs $2 million to get a quarterback. And then what happens? 
he gets a quarterback. So maybe there is a little bit of borrowing uh, of a technique here. And and frankly, that would be better news than, you know, going out and kind of venting to the world about your lack of money. So if that's the case, I would be, I would be much more fine with that. Yeah. I, I mean, Kate, I think you laid that out perfectly. I, I don't even really want to add anything to it. Cause I think I'll just be kind of repeating what you just said, but I, I love those questions. And I, Honestly, love hearing you talk in IL. I love when you and I leave each other speechless. <laughs> what a great feeling. Hey, I did want to shout out real quick, Joey Bedenfield at UPS underscore poke. He, I completely missed this in my notes. He's the one who put that BT question into my head that I asked you. And I oh, had really? made a note to shout him out. He said, is this team better or better without, with, without Bryce Thompson? Yeah. So I, it's I a great shout question. him out for that. We answered that one earlier, but yeah, the answer, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll do just two more uh, quick ones. And I actually think we got through a majority of them, which is great. So, yeah. So Chris Gibbons at Chris 74 Gibbons says, can we put a vertically mobile roof in GIA that expands and contracts based on ticket sales? Certainly AI can figure this out. Chris, that would be pretty cool. I think, you know, I heard Coach Boynton talking on his radio show, Kate, about South Carolina's basketball stadium holds like 18,000. Oh, my something gosh. Like that. So there's and he was like, they never fill it up because that's where Coach Boynton played. If I mean, you probably knew that if you're listening to this podcast, but I think other schools have this issue with one when basketball is good for a long period and then has a downturn because if they make any improvements to the stadium, and you know, and you're not good in college basketball. It's probably not going to draw a crowd. Look at what Baylor just did. They built a smaller stadium. Foster Pavilion holds 7,500. They got to do something about the camera angle in there. But they they anticipated, like, if Baylor basketball is great for the next 20 years, then they're sold out every night. I think it's a genius move. You say, okay, we're going to guarantee that we fill up 80% of the stadium every single night. And I think at one point in time, when did they raise the roof dust in 2000 and 2000? I think it was 2000. That was a probably big and bold and fun idea. I think now it would be really easy to say, yeah, they should have never done that. But it really is only because the program is not in a, as good a spot. Like Saturday, I just saw a tweet come out that says there's less than a thousand Bedlam tickets. So when there's a big game, they put butts in seats, but there's just not been a very big game in Stillwater in a long time. So, yeah, it, it's tough with college basketball because yeah, if like, like you just said, if, if there's going to be a down period, it's tough to fill these stadiums that are closing in on the same size as, you know, Paycom Center for the Thunder. Yeah, you so. used to you used to fill it up for Kansas, but you were beating Kansas and Oklahoma State hadn't done that in a while. And nowadays it's like they just don't put anybody in the stadium. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's tough. Uh and then M at camera one at underscore camera one underscore says signing class overview pod with Adam Lunt win. So I think we mentioned this on a recent pod. I might have forgot. So apologies if I did. We're going to do it in the middle of March, early March. We've got a date set. Just in case it changes, we won't release it yet on this podcast. And it's going to be more of like a spring preview, signing class preview, depth chart preview with Adam Lunt. It'll probably be similar length to some of our football season pods, like an hour and a half, maybe longer. I think it'll be a lot of fun. We appreciate Adam for joining 
So look out for that coming soon. And Cade, I think that's all the time we have for today. I can't freaking wait for that episode. Um, I also can't freaking wait for this weekend. There's a lot of big time Oklahoma State sports. It's going to be beautiful weather in Stillwater. If you can get to Bedlam, great. If you can get to Iowa, great. If you can do both, I'm highly jealous. So, Dustin, I hope you have fun on Sunday. I hope everybody that gets to go does as well. And if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. That feels like 45pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We'll see you back here next week. Go Pokes!